Welcome to the Lean Health Tech Podcast, where industry professionals discuss trends and topics where efficiency, healthcare, and technology meet. My name is Taryn Shipley, and I'm your host. Our guest speaker today is Edward Morris, former copywriter turned chat GPT prompt engineer, who was recently featured in a Yahoo News article highlighting his work with AI and healthcare. Thanks for joining us, Edward. That's my pleasure. Today's topic is generative AI and healthcare. Can you tell us what does it mean to be a prompt engineer? How did you get started? No, it's it's a very funny question because ChatGPT itself relies on a, a process called natural language processing, NLP, and I'm sure the terminology has been thrown around quite a fair bit around the AI sphere and generally people who are trying to understand AI. So when the prompt engineering concept came up, I first thought it's a little bit funny because it sounds a lot like communication to me. You know, you're prompting someone to make you a cup of coffee at uh, Starbucks, let's say. You're prompting somebody to give you information. You're prompting someone to do a specific task for you. It really does depend on what you would personally consider a, a prompt. So a prompt engineer, in, in short, is someone who can make a thing do a thing. Whether you want to extend that to chat GPT as a whole, whether you want to extend that to purely AI-based things or even outside of the realms of AI and automation software, you know, being a prompt engineer isn't restrained to purely just chat GPT processes, which is why we see certain companies such as Netflix offering so much money for a prompt engineer who can make machines do as they say. Um in sure, that's, that's sort of what it is. It's a person who's good at giving commands. And the reason my copywriting experience sort of lent itself so well to the field of prompt engineering was purely because copywriting, in essence, at the very core, is making somebody think or do a very certain or very particular thing. If it's, for instance, direct response copywriting, you will expect a person to click on the link or follow through and listen to a call to action, hopefully take efforts on it and um, although there's a lot of nuance to copywriting there is equally as much nuance for prompt engineering on the chat gpt level you know the the most simple kind of wording can make all the difference whether you want chat gpt to change its tonality from pleasant and pleasing all the way to you know write the entire message in the style and tone of a particular celebrity or someone who you idolize anyone from a cartoon character like Bugs Bunny all the way to real celebrities such as Tom Cruise. You know, it can pretty much do everything with the right wording. But that's exactly why prompt engineering is so in demand because it's a very holistic kind of job where you must know a little bit of everything to get a very particular and very singular response. Are the prompt engineer skills translatable across all AI programs? Or would you say you're a chat GPT prompt engineer? not necessarily a prompt engineer for some other specific AI product? I think the reason why prompt engineer is kind of like, I want to say my bread and my butter for the chat GPT area or GPT area, it's it's mostly because businesses find more utility in chat GPT and GPT responses. So when we, when we look at chat GPT and all of the office-based tasks it can do and all of these things, it can range anywhere from writing NDAs in seconds all the way to creating responses for emails in particular tonality or brand guidelines. It just so happens that there's more demand for chat GPT and generally text-based prompt engineers. But it's not to say that the prompts that I write are specific to chat GPT. There are people who have asked me to write prompts for mid-journey, 
for even Runway, which isn't as popular, but is the video equivalent of Mid Journey. Um, and it changes, you know, with there's some people who prefer using GPT. There are other people who prefer using cloud. There are other people who prefer using Palm. But all in all, all that prompting boils down to is getting a particular system to act in a very particular way in a particular order of sequences. Ultimately, it's a very much a transferable skill. Ironically, the only kind of limitation you have when it comes to prompt engineering is your own knowledge base, because it's all well and good saying, you know, prompt engineering is all about communicating. But if you're new to a field or if you find that a field is a little bit alien to you, you may not necessarily know everything about that field. So it requires the research within that field. So recently, for instance, I've um, created a, a bit of a, a series on prompt engineering for project management, which a lot of people find very useful because project management is something that all of us tend to do in our day-to-day -day lives to some degree, whether it's leaning down processes and making them more efficient or it's uh, a bit more complicated and you know SWOT analysis and all this, these kinds of things that we tend to run into in the corporate world. What I've done is I've sort of created prompts which can allow people to access the world of project management and have it at their fingertips. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't have previous sort of exposure to the project management field. So it's very much you have to learn different areas even though you have access to this AI that can seemingly do absolutely everything before you start writing prompts that give a response that you want. Because you could, in theory, ask ChatGPT to give you 10 super bespoke prompts about project management. And it may do so. And you may look over them and think, well, these are fantastic. But, you know, everything is kind of exciting to somebody who's new to the field. And a real project manager would look at those prompts and think, well, they're okay, but I mean, they're not really super in depth. You know, they're not they're not breaking the grounds or anything. They're not they're not inspiring you to be happy and you know <laughs> explore the world of AI project management, which is kind of what you hope for when you work with people in the AI space. So, although the prompts do translate into other systems, really the only limitation there is is the human behind the keyboard, um, which tends to be the case with every project and um, prompts engineer rather. So that's that's sort of that's sort of where I, I stand. Although ChatGPT is very much the the big sort of talk and the elephant in the room, Mid Journey is quietly lurking in the background. It's the shadow of the elephant because when Hollywood and when all these other areas that we see finally start using AI on in a more aggressive and more invasive kind of way, we'll start seeing a demand for prompt engineers specifically for mid-journey, specifically for applications similar to Runway, and specifically for generative AI applications that have more fundamental use within the Hollywood sphere. But currently, I mean, there's more demand for ChatGPT engineers, so I just go where the demand takes me. What are some examples of how you've helped healthcare companies integrate AI into their workflow? In terms of workflow, it, it really does vary certain particular medical areas will ask me for instance oh ed we've um there's a few efficiencies within the business we wanted to have a look and usually those efficiencies are at like the customer service or patient service level so if a patient writes in and the secretary doesn't quite know how to address the concern it usually takes a lot of time for that that concern to be addressed and when you have a patient who is potentially extremely sick with a with, with something which is causing them a lot of distress 
nine out of 10 times, they want a quick response. They want to know they've been acknowledged. So on that kind of level, that's where I'm called in for on the most part. Now on a doctoring level, that's quite interesting because in the UK, I'm not going to throw my own doctor under the bus. I'm not going to <laughs> put him in a, in a perilous situation, let's say. During the meetings and during our little catch-ups on how my health is doing or if I'm sick, he'll quite brazenly open up WebMD and and double-check, you know, is he really suffering from what I think he's suffering from? So quite a lot of doctors have asked on a personal level if I could help them use ChatGPT, how it works, how does ChatGPT help my day-to-day life and how do I summarise this for a patient? How do I make this sound a little less concerning for a patient? What would be an easy way to explain this sickness to a child. You know, there's many ways. Doctors are fantastic at what they do. Um, I've got nothing but respect for them. But their focus mainly when they're in university will be the medical area rather than the communication area, which is completely fine because ultimately I'd rather have a surgeon who knows what they're doing with their scalpel than have a surgeon who's sort of cracking jokes and communicating things to me while I'm under the knife. For them, chat GPT is a fantastic way of communicating very complex topics in very simplistic terms. If it's not that, then it's summarizing huge amounts of text. As we know, there's lots of medical journals that get released, lots of new medical findings. And some doctors just don't want to read through all of that. They just they would rather get the snippets and they'd rather get the summary and the key points and the action points and potentially um, discussionary takeaways. So they will take that PDF or they'll take the document, whatever it might be, whatever the format is, and they'll simply get ChatGPT to read through it and provide a summary and provide action points and key takeaways, saving them hours of reading. Of course, it's always advice they do read the whole thing, but if they're trying to get the nuggets of information out of it, the right prompts can do that for you. So that's how they use on a more kind of one-to-one personal level. Now, on a more human kind of patient-only level, that's a little bit different on that particular level um i made a prompt which as you said at the beginning of the podcast it landed me into yahoo news and the prompt itself it was made as a kind of a out of frustration a little bit because i saw a lot of healthcare professionals struggling and i decided well in theory this app of mine if i could make it correctly and if it can diagnose well enough we i I call it a diagnosis but realistically it's more of a soft suggestion to a doctor well i'd say a hard suggestion depending on how obvious the symptoms are but it it essentially runs a patient through the exact same process as a consultation with a doctor and the reason that's so important is because the patient will talk to this particular prompt or this particular chatbot, and it will diagnose in a way that WebMD just just doesn't, you know. And I think a lot of us, and if not all of us, have gone onto Google. We've typed in our symptoms, whether it's a headache or a heart pain or you know anything really, and we'll see WebMD pop up, and we'll you know we'll hop onto WebMD. Maybe maybe it's just something simple that can be cured with over the counter medicine, right? A WebMD says your headache is a sign of pregnancy. And so you're sort of sat in the armchair and you're staring at your phone. And you're like, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm pregnant. I really don't think I'm pregnant. It's, it's been quite a while. It would be quite the miracle if I was. But what this chatbot does is it takes all the information the patient gives it in terms of sickness, nothing which I would consider HIPAA violating or anything, because you don't really take the personal details of the patient. There is no birth date. There is no name. 
there is no sex unless it's specified and there's nothing which would be considered personal. And they would just purely give their sickness and then the chatbot will diagnose on a far more accurate level based on the symptoms and information provided. Um, but that's sort of what I did and that's how I learned into Yahoo News. And the reason why it happened and ever since that point is because other companies saw the problems that I had worked on and they dropped me a private message and they said, hey, we want to implement this into our chatbot and we want to release it onto whatever platform there might be. Sometimes it's just on the internet as in like a web page. and Other times it's an actual app on the app stores and we want to, you know, help people out with your prompt. And so certain companies use it and obviously I've tweaked it around so the chatbot is more personalized to them. That's sort of it. That's That's how I landed into Yahoo News and it's quite serendipitous because recently there have been news stories about people who have typed in all of their symptoms into chat GPT and have looked at potential diagnosis and what it could be after going to several doctors and these patients have been diagnosed via chat GPT with rare diseases that doctors have missed and you know they are only human they do make mistakes and they do miss things so for chat GPT to look through all of the symptoms and then for the patient to start eliminating certain things, so if they have inflammation in the joints or whatever it might be, and then listing off all of these symptoms, the chat GPT, that GPT will say, okay, well, you haven't said it's arthritis, you haven't said it's this, you haven't said it's that, so it only leaves us with one possible thing, and it could be this disease. And that disease can then be taken to a doctor, a trained professional medical doctor, and then the doctor can say, well, it's worth a shot, let's have a look, and they can detect it for themselves. And that saves hours of time and hours of going to a GP and hours of going to a doctor just trying to get a diagnosis. And doctors have free use and they can use the prompt as well if they really want to. So that's sort of all of my work in AI as of the moment, I think. <laughs> How can listeners use the prompt that you're referring to, the diagnosis prompt? Yeah, it's um, it's it's open. It's on my um, blog. Uh, it's on my Medium. It's you hop onto my LinkedIn, um, if you just search my name, Edward Frank Morris, and my Medium URL is in the featured section, and I tend to post all of my work there. The medical prompt is up on there as well as a few more other things I've worked on in the past. I, I try to keep the serious stuff which people can use for free on Medium. Um, if you're a professional and you want to use a super prompt and you want to use it for your own professional life, it's right there. If you're just a normal patient, all you need to do is take the prompt, copy and paste it into ChatGPT. I prefer if you use ChatGPT4, and it should be there for you to freely use. And failing that, if, if you can't find it on my Medium, then you can email me, I suppose, edwardfrankmorris.gmail.com, and I'll happily send you the whole prompt, all bells and whistles. I try to be as open and as giving with these kinds of things as humanly possible. Although I'm sure that some of my clients would call me insane for giving it away for free. But the, the thing is, you know, the UK is currently experiencing a, a, an epidemic within its own national health system where we just can't keep up with the demand of patients that walk through the door. But if ChatGPT can alleviate some of that pressure and say, mm, well, actually, judging by the symptoms you have mentioned within this conversation, it sounds more like you've just got the flu instead of, I don't know, SARS or COVID. And then they can read and go, oh, maybe it's right. You know, it, it might be just flu. I'll just get myself some or fiasin or whatever it might be and i'll rest up and if it's still here then i'll go to a doctor and i'll tell him it's not the flu at all and that can save tremendous amounts of hours on our own healthcare system so i try to give these things away for free you know i'm, I'm working on something at the moment for legal practices 
but that's a whole entire different conversation. <laughs> what are your thoughts on government policy regulating the use of AI? When I look at the government talking about Facebook and talking about TikTok and talking about the infringements that these companies have made, it doesn't exactly fill me with confidence that they have the technical know-how to look at something as complex as ChatGPT and look at something like Claude or Cloud and look at MedPalm, whatever it might be, and then understand the gravity of what they're dealing with. Because ultimately, when we talk about regulation, when we talk about policy, we have to understand that it would be very difficult to police something that is AI related, mainly because the nature of AI is that it's meant to think and ultimately replace a human being's thought process. That's because it's based on human beings. So when we talk about the government trying to regulate the policy, I don't really see how they can do it because how do you contain something that thinks that is a brain that, that can do these kinds of things? You can certainly say to companies, we want more safeguarding measures in place. We want you to eliminate any swear words. We want you to eliminate anything that would be considered dangerous. But you can't really do that. The, the biggest critique chat GPT has and GPT has as a whole is that it's been, quote unquote, dumbed down since February 22 or 23, rather. I, I personally don't think it has been. I don't think it's been dumbed down at all. I think what's happened is it's been there's a behavioral change. And OpenAI have quite rightly tried to fix any of the areas that they would consider dangerous, whether it's people prompting ChatGPT on how to do open head surgery or something as simple as how do you, I don't know, make hydrogen peroxide based toothpaste. It can really depend, but ultimately people will always find a way around those measures and safeguards. And you don't have to look very far for jailbreaks and people who try to break into the ChatGPT system to get these illegal responses. Although I've just mentioned all of this, I'm, I'm certain there will be listeners of you, of yours rather, who will, who will hear all of this. And they'll say, well, that was, that was a lot of information. That was a lot of technical information. You know, what's a jailbreak? What's, what's the behavioral change? What's the difference between a behavioral change and a knowledge change? Can we not just delete the lines out of the AI that are illegal? Can we not just erase the data? But the LLM, the, the main system behind ChatGPT, it does not work like that at all. And it's a very, very complex topic, and it's very, very difficult to tackle these things. And the problem is, is that I don't have trust in the government to be making such decisions on policy when these policies may not necessarily be useful. Time will tell. That's the problem. That's that's the big thing, because although it's all well and good of me saying I don't trust in the government to make the right choices in this particular area, frankly, we've never had anything like chat GPT before, anything to this scale on any AI kind of level. Never in history have we really been greeted with the concept of deep fakes where we can see, I don't know, like the Pope wearing a white puffer jacket and it was generated in seconds on mid-journey. Never before have we kind of been in such a situation where suddenly your own voice is the subject of hijacking. These kinds of topics, I mean, we've never ever come across anything like this before, nothing this complex. So in the future, I imagine there's going to be all sorts of cybercrime that will be impossible to tackle. When we think about problems of this scale, let alone ChatGPT giving you instructions on how to perform open head surgery, how do you police something that is that powerful? without just purely shutting down the companies that do it. 
it would be very, very difficult to police something like that. And I don't really know how the government honestly go about doing something of this scale, especially now that more and more people are realising that the potential for open AI to get slapped with a ban or something along those lines is becoming more and more likely every day because of the power it holds. And so there are people who are taking this sort of stuff offline. They have their own LLMs, which are unrestricted. They have their own image generation, which is unrestricted, and their own data sets. And because they have access to this software and the government don't necessarily know about it, even if, you know, let's say the US government were to shut down OpenAI and they were to shut down Midjourney and Runway and all these companies that do voice synthesis, it wouldn't really matter in the end because there would be people who already downloaded the offline variants of it. And so truly, what would the answer be? It's very similar to the debate that we have on gun control. If we were to ban all the guns, there are still guns in the streets and there's still guns that can be acquired illegally. The the topic of AI is so complex. It, I think it requires brains who aren't necessarily in politics, but they would need to bring in outside sources who have worked on LLMs, who have worked on AI, who have worked on cutting edge technology to save policy, what is and isn't possible, what is doable and what is not doable. Because we're kind of at the precipice here of a, another Oppenheimer moment where Certainly everything seems very well and dandy on the surface because we're making advancements and we're helping people with sickness and, you know, whatever else it might be. But we are kind of opening a Pandora's box and it's really important that we make sure whatever we put in place actually is a safeguard and actually does the job it's intended to do and there are no circumnavigations. Because if there's even one circumnavigation and it kind of ruins the point of the policy to begin with, and even with fining and all the rest, it's very... It's, it's a deterrent, but it's not an answer. So, yeah, that, that's sort of where I stand on it. I'm not exactly pessimistic about it. I'm not exactly optimistic about it either when it comes to policy and regulation, but I am very firmly in the middle ground where I say regulation is fantastic and so is policy. But the problem is we need people who actually know what they're talking about and not just purely political figures talking about AI. We need people who have done this for years and years and years who can talk about this for hours on end, who can make these policies that guarantee our safety in collaboration with these politicians. That's just government policy. Are there ethical considerations we also need to keep in mind with AI? It depends on, on what we, we consider ethics. I mean, obviously, a fly landing in a spider's web would consider the spider to be incredibly unethical, whereas a spider wouldn't necessarily consider itself to be unethical. Where we fall on the ethics of AI is where we start discussing things about job replacement and what AI does for us as a society. And there's this very popular narrative that's currently floating around on the internet and in other spheres where we talk about empowering your staff with AI so that they're future-proofed for the future. And, you know, we should empower our customer services to use AI to their own advantage. And these are important things because if you don't, use the AI, it will end up using you in many ways. When we when you think about the ethics of all of it, we know deep down that AI is here to essentially replace humans. That's the, the main crux of the situation. Chat GPT can do the job of a copywriter and a content writer to a you know beginner to advanced level. And I think denying something like that would be quite foolish. If we were to look at chat GPT from other standpoints, you could use the doctor example for instance. You could say, well Okay, Ed, I mean, it's diagnosing correctly 95% of the time. It doesn't have a medical license. So what's really stopping us from giving it a medical license? 
and then sort of seeing where it goes from there. And you could have that stance, I suppose. But it applies across the board, the entire board. I mean, artists, right? They look at mid-journey and they, they see it as the devil because essentially to them it is. It's the end. It's the beginning of the end. We look at Hollywood at the moment who are campaigning and they're talking about AI taking their jobs and they're talking about AI movies. They're talking about Netflix scanning entire bodies into Netflix episodes because these things are actually about to happen. Where do we draw the line? And I think that's the big question with AI. And it's, do we draw the line where we think we should draw the line? Do we draw it here right now where chat GPT is with GPT-4? This is as far as we go because it can do everything to just an advanced level. Or do we say we'll keep on going for the, bet the betterment of mankind? And depending on what side of the argument you're on, you'll either agree with the first statement that we draw the line in the sand right here, right now, just because of the ethical considerations and the people that could get replaced by this technology instead of empowered. Or do we draw the line further down where we are quite literally replacing people who have jobs they may not necessarily like because they're so repetitive? And we replace them and then they're free to go enjoy whatever job they may want to pursue without the concern of money, I suppose. At least that's the AI utopia, which a lot of influencers seem to find themselves dreaming of. But I think if we're being realistic, the latter option, as I've just mentioned, is more of a, a fantasy. Because if you have a team of customer service agents, you have, let's say, 10, and you've empowered all of these people with chat GPT, with AI, you've done everything you could possibly do in 2023 to make sure that these people are keeping up to date with current emerging trends and technology. In 2025, let's say two years from now, the CEO catches wind from an AI influencer or consultant, whoever it might be, whoever they go to for their news, and they finally realize that they can automate the entire customer service process and they can save hours of time, potentially days per year. And the payment for this particular system is $2,000 a month, but it's essentially doing the work of 20 people at speeds which would be impossible for a human being to perform at. The CEO would likely have a look at that and think, well, it's a bit of a no-brainer really, isn't it? Because we save on literally everything. But the ethical side of it and the moral side of it is, do we really want to get rid of 10 jobs, 10 customer service jobs who know how to use ChatGPT? Is that really something you want to do? And when you do the math, I mean, you're, you're axing 10 jobs, right? If we're going by the UK standards of minimum pay, I believe a minimum pay for a customer service administrator in the UK for a top-end financial firm is currently sitting at £24,000. So you've saved £240,000 a year. And I'm not quite sure what the exchange rate is in dollars, but I think it's around half a million dollars per year and countless amounts of man hours. And a person would say, well, an AI has replaced them. It's exactly what we warned them of. It's They should have trained themselves in that particular field of AI. They should have upskilled themselves to this, I don't know, new, new godlike level of intelligence. But you can't really do that, not with 10 people in a particular group and demographic. At best, you're going to have one person who's managing the team, a human contact who knows everything about that particular field and can answer the AI, but also can answer the off ad hoc question from a customer, which the AI cannot answer. But that's sort of the ethical field we're walking into. And every single job that we know is currently facing this, unless it's a hands-on job, like let's say a surgeon. But even then, it's not like 
there aren't videos out there of machinery and robots performing surgery on a grape, you know, skinning it and replacing the skin perfectly well with stitches, which begs even more questions of where the future of medicine is bound to go. But this is the big question of where do we go with AI and how far is too far? Because ultimately, we can go as far as we want to with AI, but I hate to use the Jurassic Park quote, but just because we can make it, we don't, just because we can do this thing doesn't mean that we should. Yeah, that's the sort of the ethic. That's the big crux of the situation, which is why I'm always a bit wary and hesitant when people have the, the kind of super optimistic view of AI. It's, it's not the, the field of roses that people expect it to be. It's not as rosy smelling. It's, it's quite a contentious issue, which is why I found myself in the field in the first place, funnily enough, because I saw where the tide was turning and I thought it's either swim or die. And that's it. I decided to swim. What general advice do you have for healthcare organizations when it comes to using AI? Fantastic question. HIPAA regulations are a big one. GDPR. From my standpoint, it would be a very, very bad idea to enter in personal patient, confidential information as a whole. I don't ever recommend doing that. It depends on how you use the system. I mean, if it's just summarizing things and communicating to people about their sickness in a particular way so that they understand, that's fine. I mean, you know, that's easily done with the Google search, but ChatGPT just does it so much better and so much faster. That's fine. From the perspective of getting results and diagnosis, I would always recommend making ChatGPT run through the motions and giving it every piece of information it could possibly have in terms of sickness. As long as it's not attached and it's anonymized, you're free to use it. I mean, it's no different to WebMD, but at least with ChatGPT, it breaks down the chances and the probability cause of a patient rather than WebMD sort of blanketing what it could be. But the important thing is HIPAA regulations and GDPR. Always be very, very wary of those two things. But if you are good at using ChatGPT, I don't see why you would, in the first place, use a patient name and then use their birth date and then use their like all these sensitive informations when really all you should be doing is copying and pasting what sickness they have without any personal information and what they might have. And sure, ChatGPT, when you make it role plays a doctor or whatever you want to call it, it might come back and ask more prying questions just, just to make sure that it knows what it knows and it will give a diagnosis that is seemingly good and useful but those prying questions are just just that they are prying questions it's simple it's 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 sort of like the patient is coughing um their chest is heavy their ribs are hurting what do you think they have and then chat gp will go well it sounds like they just have a normal cough and flu do they have any medical history of a particular sickness that might involve sicknesses involving coughing and then you say yeah actually come to think of it the patient has asthma or they have a history of pneumonia and then you give that to ChatGPT and they will probably come back with something along the lines of, yeah, they might have bronchitis, sounding by the sounds of their coughing and all the rest that you've described to me. So that would be my advice. HIPAA regulations first. Understand what you want ChatGPT to do for you. And when it comes to diagnosis, just make sure to give it as much sickness and medical information as possible, but not personal information. Thank you so much for sharing your insight around generative AI in healthcare. This concludes today's Lean Health Tech podcast. If you're a listener and would like to hear a certain topic covered in future episodes, please let me know by leaving a review or comment. Thanks for joining and be sure to check out the next episode.